but we bet you'll like them. I'm back in the saddle again. Pop, pop, it's showtime. 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 Guess who's back again? Checking in from the right side of Acadiana, seeking truth. I want the truth! Justice. Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. Yes. And a whole lot of freedom to have fun. Winning, winning, winning. Yes. Oh, behave. This is the Rush Report. Welcome back to the Ross Report. Um, doing our show, We're, we took a, our show on the road today in downtown Lafayette. Had a great conversation with Dr. Jennifer Hargrave with the Science Museum, and now, now we get to talk to the folks who are right next door. Uh, Miss Laurie Linton, she's the executive director at the Children's Museum of Cadiana. Laurie, welcome to the Ross Report. Hi, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you bet. I'm I'm really excited to talk to you because. Yeah, I'm just old enough. I was around when the Children's Museum was first <laughs> started. <laughs> the three ladies who started it, and they were they were really cool. Uh, some of it came out of a project I worked on, Vision Lafayette, back in the 80s. And uh, it was uh, Renee Miller, Mitzi Domino, and um, uh, Marvita Hudson. Those were the three founders of the Children's Museum, as I'm, I'm sure you know. Um, Anyway, so you are now the executive director. So what we like to do, uh, Lori, is just give a little bit of a background, uh, a little bit about you and how you got involved in the children, where are you from, how you got involved in the Children's Museum, that kind of thing. Yes, that sounds great, Carol. So like Ms. Carol said, my name is Lori Linton. I grew up here in Lafayette, Louisiana my whole life uh, near downtown. Grew up right on Pontiac Point. And I started volunteering at the museum in high school, uh, 2009, no. <laughs> believe it or not. And oh, my that's gosh. Where, that's where I fell in love with the museum. Um, so through volunteering and then through working, I have held every position here at the museum. Um, up until now, I'm executive director, and I get to make all the big, fun decisions that oh, goes into that, into that job. <laughs> Well, it's it's it obviously is a labor of love. I'm just listening to you. I can hear the love in your voice for this organization, and the fact. When was the last time I heard Pontiac Point? <laughs> My goodness! <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, you have uh, the, to know. If you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Louviers and Pontiac Point, long time ago. Absolutely, uh, you have to be old Lafayette. Now you're not old; you're young, but um, <laughs> but you know about old Lafayette. <laughs> I, lo- All right, I love now. old Lafayette, and I have a passion for Lafayette, so I know about a lot about it. Oh, listen. So, how did you get involved? With really with the children's museum from being a volunteer all as a kid, you know. Yes, yes, that's how it started. From being a volunteer, um, once I graduated, I applied to work here, and that's where I fell in love. You know, it's over some years I left. You go back, you leave, you go back. But when you really love something, mm-hmm. you can never truly let it go. Um, yeah, you just so keep coming back. I'm still here. Probably it's been a total of 15 years that I've put my dedication and love into this museum, and I'm so happy to 
help us thrive and give our community something good for our children. You know, I think the Children's Museum is kind of like the Science Museum. I think you're a little better known than the Science Museum, but but still people don't realize the kinds of programs that you all offer down there, uh, you know, for kids and parents to take their kids to. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing uh, what you all do. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about some of those programs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that Carol has encountered many people who grew up in Lafayette that's never been to the Children's Museum. So we offer over 12 exploratory exhibits, which are all hands-on guided for children, infant to 10 years old. Uh, If you haven't been, we have a play grocery store, cafe, Acadian ambulance. We have bubbles. But in addition to that, we offer several educational programs, like uh, this Sunday coming up, we have our sensory mornings at the museum, which allow children um, and families with autism to come and explore the museum for free every second Sunday in the morning, so they're able to have a chance um, what to a, visit. What, what does that entail, sensory Sunday? Yes, ma'am. Sensory, yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, sensory, talk about that. Sensory mornings at the museum, that's every second Sunday of the month. And it's for children with autism or sensory processing disorders to uh. just come in and explore the museum when it's less busy. Um, because if you've been to the museum on a Saturday or a regular Saturday, Sunday, weekend day, it's very overwhelming. So mm-hmm. for our children in our community who just need a little bit less um, overwhelming time to explore and have fun, that's right. the time for them to come in and enjoy the museum. That is a great idea. I, yeah, I would have never thought about that, that, that it could be a challenge for kids with autism um, to deal with the activity because it gets, it gets kind of wild down there. I've, seen, I've been down there, and, and the kids get all excited because it's hands-on. Nobody's telling them, don't touch, don't touch. They, they're having a great time. Exactly, exactly. Um, in addition to that programming, we also have our toddler time. That's every other Thursday of the month. Uh, we have Miss Rachel in-house. She does story time and music. So our parents with little ones who just want to get out the house can um, have that opportunity to, mm-hmm. you know, challenge their little one's minds to something new. And uh, I know all the parents are probably thinking about summer camp right now. So we have our camp themology coming up this summer. Um, and spots are booking up quickly for that. So if there are any parents out there looking for a good summer camp, we're all curriculum education based at the museum. So the kids do oh. activities all throughout the That's summer. Great. So you work with the uh, school system also, uh, kind of like the Science Museum does? We do not work with the school system um, on that. We are all in-house education. Oh, okay. Um, so okay. We, we use the hands-on approach and a lot of just STEM curriculum activities that we create. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was that camp? I didn't get the name of the camp that you oh, do yeah. in, so in the, the summer. The camp is called Camp Themology. Themology. And Yes, ma'am, and STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and oh, math. Oh, okay. Yeah, STEAMology. That's what I was missing. My my headset was not picking that up. Yeah, I've seen that. I think that is great because in a lot of places it's only STEM, but you incorporate the arts into it as well. Absolutely, so absolutely. That's really, art. 
Okay. You know, I remember when it first started, a lot, it was based pretty much on donations and that kind of thing. Got, I think there was uh, the, uh, the city got a little involved, but mostly it was uh, private companies. I know uh, the home builders, I, uh, I was working with the home builders, and they did um, a, a builder kind of section. I think uh, I remember the Lafayette Parish Medical Society and Connie was reminding me, Connie Boyer was reminding me of this. Uh, they gave uh, some seed money to buy Stuffy. I think they gave y'all $10,000 mm-hmm. way back when yes, to, to buy the anatomical doll. Are you still getting those kinds of donations from, like, Acadian Ambulance did the ambulance and that kind of thing. Um, you still getting those kinds of um, exhibits and, and donations yes. that way? Yes. So we still depend highly on the community to support the museum. Um, we are a 501c3. We don't get any funding from the city. So everything that comes in is revenue generated through our ticket sales. But a lot of that comes through grants mm-hmm. and just foundation donations. Uh, and we are lucky to have some amazing people in our community who give generously to keep the museum going. Well, I'm getting uh, my phone is blowing up, telling me about different groups that are supporting the Children's Museum, like like the Medical Society. And I know that when they had their uh, antique show many years, um, they they contributed to the um, to the Children's Museum in addition to that original original donation. Also, um, Denise Lanclos was telling me the Azalea Trail is partnering with the Children's Museum for a trolley ride. Yeah, on March second. Tell me about that. Yeah, Miss Denise is a huge supporter of the museum. So the Azalea Trail, um, in March, they'll be doing their trolley ride to look at the azaleas, which is my favorite part of Lafayette. And they're going to be starting at the museum and ending at the museum. And any guests who tag along um, will receive a discount to explore the museum as well. And I'll be there, and I'm happy to go through the history um, the rich history of the museum and talk about everything that was donated from the floors to the doors. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about is how the community gave so much oh, wow. to the building. That's great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to I want you to talk about some of the the uh, current standard exhibits, the standing exhibits that you all have at the Children's Museum. We're talking to Lori Linton. She is the executive director of the Children's Museum of Acadiana, and we'll be back in just a little bit. We're broadcasting from downtown Lafayette, a special remote broadcast of the Ross Report, brought to you by Beale and A Bear, Lance Beale, Kenny A Bear. They were in earlier having a nice conversation with those wonderful guys, and we'll be right back on the Ross Report. Don't go away. We have Laurie Linton, who is the executive director of the Children's Museum of Acadiana, talking about all things Children's Museum. I mean, it's just fabulous. That, that there's so many things that you all do. And you were just talking about steamology. So RP3 is here with me. And, uh, and he, said, uh, he said, hey, my daughter goes to that every year. She absolutely loves it. RP, you, you going to do the endorsement right here of steamology? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. We, uh, we love it. We actually came across it accidentally because our daughter loves going to the children's museum and we found out one day that they were having this program so we signed her up and we only were able to do it 
for I think maybe two or three weeks because obviously the word is out that how great of a program it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was three years ago. So now she goes <laughs> every year for every summer. And um, to, to be able to have your child in an environment which it, it, it stimulates them for one. Correct. But done so in, in, in the proper way. It's, it's done in a manner where they're learning about science, they're learning about technology, engineering, art, and math. So they get that school experience, but they, they, they get it from in an environment where it's fun. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, I hate to say it this way, it kind of tricks our daughter into that she's learning these things. <laughs> she's learning while she's, she's right. having fun. She, and, and, and she does it, and every day they come home with a project, like they've made their own slime or they've made their own habitat. Ooh, and, slime. Uh, oh, and, um, and, and all this other stuff. So it, it is amazing. So, yes, I, I definitely, it gets, it, it gets my vote of... Uh, if you're looking for something to have your children take part in in the summer that's going to be creative, it's going to stimulate them, and it's going to educate them and, yeah. and get them just not being on their tablet all summer, uh, then definitely Camp Steamology at the Children's Museum here in Lafayette is amazing. Unsolicited uh, endorsement by RP3 and his daughter. And I met Hattie. Hattie is something else. She is adorable and uh, she's one of those kids that absolutely loves to learn. She's a yes. smart, smart little cookie. Um, you have so many exhibits, though, over there. They're, the standing exhibits. Tell us about some of the standing exhibits, Lori. Thanks, yes, RP. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of favorites. And I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but uh, Hattie <laughs> is one of my favorites, by the uh, way. <laughs> favorite camp forever. Um, so we have a veterinary clinic that's sponsored by Carson Animal Hospital. And so the kids are able to go in. They could either be a receptionist, but a lot of them like to be the doctor, right? So there's several puppies and kittens for them to grab out of the kennels, take care of them. They could weigh them and give them shots. Um, So that's one of our longstanding. The kids love it. And, Uh of course, you know, when you think of the Children's Museum of Acadiana, a lot of people, oh, is the grocery store still there? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, that's how it started. It was a grocery store. <laughs> yes. When it, yeah. A lot of people yeah, when don't it was know the it was a grocery store. Right. And right. now there's the mini grocery store in there. So the kids are able to get their baskets, get their food, and check themselves out. That's currently sponsored by Super One Foods. And this morning, Carol, we actually been almost finished the updates to our cafe um, exhibit, our little restaurant exhibit, um, where the kids can be, pretend to be hosts and servers and chefs, and that exhibit is looking so awesome now. It got a little faceless, and that's what we're trying to do a lot throughout the museum, is keep those nostalgic exhibits, but give it, you know, just updates here and there to keep it fun mm-hmm. for the kids and parents to enjoy. Well, Another this is such thing, a food, uh, a food so crazy. It's the bubble tower. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, how many times did you go to the children's museum and you, you stood inside of a bubble that's still there almost 30 years later and everyone loves it? Yep, they sure do. That's the one you see. The, you see the pictures all the time of the kids. They, they just love the bubble factory. Uh, what about the, uh, and you talked about the uh, Super One Foods and the other one that I love. I love the names of these, to tell the tooth. And that's about the dental, the dental exhibit. That yes, is so cute. Yes, to tell the tube, sponsored by Lafayette Pediatric Dentistry. And again, thank you to the community for sponsoring, right? Because we wouldn't yes. be there without them. 
And we that just got a little update as well. And next to Tell the Tooth in the dentist area, Lafayette Pediatric Dentistry sponsored a nursing room for mothers and babies to feed in a quiet area. So a lot of our moms, our new moms, um, or moms with new babies visiting the museum have been taking advantage of that quiet space. Oh, that's great. Now, what about what about the itty bitty builders? Because you've there's been a component in there for a long time. The kids love the construction thing. Yes. You know, I mean, Tom the builder, and you know all these other kind of things. So, Absolutely. Uh, um, itty bitty builders. It's almost been a year since it opened. Uh, it was fairly new where we opened it back in March of last year, and it's a room that we wanted to focus on trade skills. Uh-huh. Because we yeah. found that a lot of, you know, we're focused on science and technology, but we still need plumbers and roofers and electricians in you our bet. community. And you that's bet. still a very viable job that we need. Um, so in Itty Bitty Builders, you can do electrician work. You can do plumbing work. You can do crane operator. And it gets the kids excited about that trade work that's still so important. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's just great to see the Children's Museum still thriving and people still. And the part the part that is really so smart is these specific exhibits that people sponsor, like Carson uh, Veterinary Hospital, Super One Foods, et cetera. These, these are things that are good for the their business. You know, it, it mm-hmm. teaches the kids about their business. And uh, and it's so good for the Children's Museum to have specific sponsors of these things. It makes sense. I mean, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Uh, let's okay. tell people how they can get more involved in the Children's Museum. Give them the hours and, you know, uh, and how they can get more involved and be a part of uh, supporting the Children's Museum. Yes, absolutely. So the museum is open from Tuesday to Saturday from 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And on Sundays from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., we're closed only on Mondays. And there are several ways um, to learn more. If you want to follow us on all of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as well. But you could just go to our website, which is com. You could check out our upcoming events, look at uh, our options for birthday parties, field trips, check out all our exhibits and upcoming um, any upcoming special events right. as well. And, and so groups, including teachers, can schedule uh, trips, field trips to the Soul children's trips museum. have been booking up. There's not many spaces left. So if oh any my. teachers out there listening, you're looking for a fun educational place to bring the kids, uh, we definitely offer several amazing field trips. That's great. And the other thing that you that you do every year that everybody loves, the New Year's Noon. <laughs> I oh, think that is, yes. that is such a popular and great idea. It really yes, is. Yes, so we can't wait to continue to make New Year's Noon better and bigger every year. That's great. Laurie Linton, you have been a pleasure to talk to, and I can see why the Children's Museum is thriving. I, You know, I can hear the love in your voice. Uh, so, uh, you know, people just go to the Children's Museum of Acadiana.com. You'll get all the scoop on all the activities and the programs and how you can book a birthday party for your kid or any special activity. Laurie, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate no, you. I appreciate it. Well, thanks. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, what a great asset. And so, you know, 
We have our issues with some of the things that go on downtown. Of course, everybody does. But we have some great institutions down here. It's, uh, and, and people are upgrading all the time. They're, they're redoing the old home bank building across the street. I mean, it's really great. Uh, the ACA, the Cadiana Center for the Arts, the uh, Children's Museum, the Science Museum, uh, and all the great businesses down here. It's, uh, it's really the arts and culture district. And, of course, festivals and Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras will be soon, and festival will be shortly thereafter. So uh, it's been a pleasure to have the Ross Report on the road, and it's all thanks to Beal and Abear, attorneys at law, Lance Beal, Kenny Abear, two great guys. They call themselves hometown attorneys. They want to be your hometown attorney. All right, we're going to take a break for the news when we come back. Well, who knows what we're going to talk about when we come back? I don't know. It'll be whatever just pops into my head. <laughs> so stick around. You may find it very interesting. Don't go away. We'll be right back. To the Ross Report. So as I mentioned earlier, um, we were talking to, um, I was watching. Of course, they don't have it televised. They only had the audio this morning from the arguments before the Supreme Court. It was really fascinating. And you listen to those and you think, hmm, uh, well, we're in trouble. I mean, it sounds bad and we don't know what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out it goes the other way. As Jonathan Turley quite often has said, you cannot uh, make a determination about which way the... um, I'll cue you on that. Don't worry. It's hard to make a determination on which way the Supreme Court justices will go. They They ask all kind of questions, and they ask some of the most challenging questions. They really demand that you defend your position and defend your client. And so this is really going to be interesting. I thought some of the really interesting parts were, look, Tangie Brown-Jackson actually made a comment. As I recall, she said something like, oh, you're going to allow one Secretary of State or one state to deny the ability for all the other states to vote for their choice for president. That was a really, that was a great question and, and unexpected from her. Anyway. Yeah, and in the case of Maine, it was the Secretary of State, the unelected Secretary of State, who just said right out of hand, well, Trump is not going to be on this ballot. Too bad. Go away. We don't care. So (laughs) you just have no way of knowing which way it's going to go. And then I was, you know, I'm a news junkie. I watch oodles and oodles of news. And I know I have friends who tell me, hey, hey, how can you maintain and still be positive and happy and all that kind of stuff? Well, you do. I mean, you just deal with it. And you realize that most of these people, they, they should not. They have too much of an impact on your life they should not have. Don't give them any more power than they already have. That's, that's what I say. Don't give them any more power than they already have. Uh, in fact, Grover Norquist wrote a great book back in the 80s or 90s, and it was Leave Us Alone. Now, can you imagine how that book should be updated today? Because more and more we want them to leave us alone because they're way too much in our lives, way too much in our lives. So I am watching the news the other night, and I see Eric Adams, and he and Brian uh, Brandon Johnson, you know, the guy from Chicago, and uh, they're, they're getting a lot of heat. They're getting a lot of heat from their people, and most of their people are in the minority community, and they're not happy with what's going on with all of the 
you know, the migrants coming in, taking over school facilities, soccer fields, and all that sort of stuff. So he's in a town hall meeting, and people are pounding on him pretty good. So what does he do? Falls back on the old, the old refuge of scoundrels who love to use this. And he says, yeah, they're pounding on me. Um, it's, it's because look around you. And this is a chocolate city, a chocolate administration, and that's why they're pounding on us. So once again, falling back on the old racist thing. How stupid was that? But you know what? It triggered a thought. So Blanc's going to play something right now, and this is a blast from the past. This happened a long time ago, and some of you may remember this, and what triggered it was when when Eric Adams said, We're, look around, they're pounding on us because this is a chocolate administration. But this was said we a long time ago. We as black people, it's time. It's time for us to come together. It's time for us to rebuild a New Orleans, the one that should be a chocolate New Orleans. And I don't care what people are saying uptown or wherever they are. This city will be chocolate at the end of the day. All right, that's enough. I just, hey, Bon, you can turn that on. I could not resist. That, that's exactly what I thought of when I heard Eric Adams. They, they fall back on this. Oh, poor me. You know, it's all racism, racism. But look at the way they're running, just like Ed, Ray Nagin did years ago after Katrina. I mean, he went and hit out. He hit his family out what? They were in Dallas, right? And then when he came back and he's trying to make up for all that, people weren't happy with what happened after Katrina. He comes back and he said, this city will always be just, you, just what you just heard. Aren't you a little bit sick of these people falling back on something like that? Own up. Man up. Own control. You wanted a sanctuary city? You have a sanctuary city. It's not my fault. It's not our fault. That's what you wanted. That's what Chicago wanted. That's what San Francisco and Los Angeles and all of these other cities wanted. That's your fault. But you see how they love to come. Well, we need more money from the federal government. Where does the federal government get its money? Yeah, you and me. So they want us to pay for their bad behavior. Once again, something we had no control over. Wasn't our fault. Wasn't anything we could manage. We could control. Didn't have any input into it. But they want us to pay for it. And that's usually the way. But I could not. When I saw that, when he was in that town hall meeting, Ed, Eric Adams... All I could think of was Ray Nagin after Katrina, trying to justify his actions after Katrina. And he was right. He was right. It, it is still a chocolate city. Anyway, all right, so I did listen to some of the uh, Supreme Court argument this morning, and it's hard to tell which way <laughs> it's going to go. But... Uh, now we see in the classified documents, everybody's saying, oh, the classified docs, that's going to be the one where they really get, they really get Donald Trump. They're going to get Donald Trump. But look at what's going on now. The special counsel. Now, will anything come of it? Probably not. But the special counsel, Robert Hur, he was the one in charge of uh, looking at Joe Biden's misuse or misstorage or whatever you want to talk about. He willfully retained classified docs, but is too mentally feeble to prosecute. Are you hearing that? I cannot believe that. 
Special Counsel Robert Hur will not charge President Joe Biden for handling of classified documents, but included stunning revelations in his report of the deterioration of Biden's mental state that are perhaps more politically damning. Oh, okay, so Trump is hitting on all cylinders, so let's get him. But Biden is, you know, feeble-minded, so we're going to leave him alone. Does that remind you of Comey saying, yeah, yeah, she broke the law, but you know serious prosecutor would prosecute this. Hmm. So this report of this special counsel investigating Joe Biden says the investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. He doesn't even have the the protection of of Trump, who was was president at the time. Um, but it does not establish guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> you know, it's really difficult to read some of these stories and keep a straight face. Her assessment, this is according to Breitbart, her assessment of Biden's significantly limited memory also played a part in his decision not to prosecute. We have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. <laughs> Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is some, I don't know which is worse, the fact that he kept <laughs> classified documents when he shouldn't have or that he's a total enfeebled old man who doesn't know what he's doing or where to turn. So her says, based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. Well, want to identify reasonable doubt. That's an interesting phrase. It would be difficult, quote, it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him. By then, a former president, well into his 80s, of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. He wasn't in his 80s. And he wasn't enfeebled when he did all this, when he had his documents in, in, in Chinatown, when he had them at UPenn in, the, in his uh, Biden global uh, whatever, whatever, library, where anybody could have access to it. Or even in the garage where Hunter and his girlfriends, some of them Russians, maybe, driving into the, the Corvette, into the garage. <laughs> Come on, people. Ugh. He... The, and, but they talk about he did not even remember, even within several years, when his son died, his son Bo. He keeps talking about his son dying in Iraq, but he didn't. He died from brain cancer. But as the, uh, as the uh, special prosecutor says, quote, in his interview with our office, he did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended, if it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? And forgetting the second day of the interview when his term began. Uh, in 29, 2009, am I still vice president? He's asking them these questions. So I guess if they really want him out and they don't want their dirty little fingerprints on getting Joe Biden out of office, you know, Democrats, they like to be loyal above all else, unlike our Republican friends. And what's going on in Lafayette Parish? Well, we'll get to that next week. Despite her assessment of a prosecution's chances in court, which mirror the justification not to charge Hillary Clinton in 2016, I hadn't even read that at the time when I said that, but now I'm reading it, yes. 
The evidence presented in the report leaves no doubt of Biden's, at best, sloppy handling of classified documents. And then they attach a bunch of photos to this report on, uh, on Breitbart. <sighs> and he disclosed classified information to the ghostwriter of his book. Ay, ay, ay. And those pictures of Hunter, you know, driving the Corvette into the garage with the hookers. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, th- this whole thing is such a disaster. And they make up charges on Trump. It really is disgusting. It's hard to, it's hard to really, ugh, hard to really read this stuff. So they don't want their dirty fingerprints on getting rid of Biden. So they let the special counsel and they release the special counsel releases his report. And it's like this guy cannot be president again. Okay, guys, you get the message. He cannot be president. You can't talk about it. We'll give you the out. All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be back for our final segment of the Ross Report. Don't go away. I want this over with. Okay, so Clarence Thomas. You know, Clarence, they call him the quiet justice. The guy, quiet, but, you know, he zones right in. He stumped Colorado's anti-Trump lawyer because he couldn't give any example of, uh, example of states disqualifying national candidates. What? Yeah, he questioned Attorney Jason Murray, uh, who was representing Colorado. Remember, Colorado was first uh, the first state to do this. And so that's why they led uh, off on the um, uh, the oral arguments before the uh, Supreme Court. So once they decide this case, and hopefully everybody's hoping it's like weeks. For the Supreme Court, weeks would be like, you know, warp speed, but we don't know. It's got to it's gotta be before, I mean, it's got to be before Super Tuesday. I mean, th- because that's, that's the big day. He's got to be on the ballot. And how do these uh, secretaries of state, you know, set up these ballots um, that far in advance? I mean, they have to have a little lead time to do this. But anyway, um, well, a lot of the the justices expressed skepticism of the ability of a state, namely Colorado, to kick, kick a presidential candidate off the ballot. Thomas zoned in on that, particularly. Uh, he, he was talking about... Um, I think it was Section 3 of the 14th Amendment or the Insurrection Clause. And during the Q&A with Murray, um, who argued that the states have the authority to disqualify national candidates. That's really interesting. That's rich. But when he was asked for examples from Thomas, he couldn't provide any. And he said, you know, states have the power to run elections. That is true. The states have the power to run elections. But, my goodness, they don't have the power to kick somebody off the ballot completely they can decide how they run that election but they can't decide who runs i would imagine anyway thomas said you know particularly after reconstruction and the compromise of 1877 and during the period of the redeemers that you would have that kind of conflict there were a lot of confederates still around you know and murray said well there were certainly national candidates who are disqualified by congress refusing to seat them and Thomas pointed out, but hey, wait, that's not this case. That's not this case. 
So anyway, they, it went back and forth. It was a really interesting exchange. Uh, Thomas is amazing. You know, they love to go after him. He is such a solid, he's so solid in his grounding of the Constitution. Now, <laughs> then we're talking about candidates on the ballot. So I didn't even have time yesterday to talk about Nikki Haley in Nevada. Nikki Haley should have stayed out of Nevada. It was not good to have none of these candidates beat Nikki Haley. I mean, seriously? So it's a none of the above beat Nikki Haley? And now now she's, now she's screaming that Donald Trump rigged the Nevada primary? He wasn't even in there. He's going to be on the, cock, on the caucus. And that is, is that tonight or tomorrow night? Anyway, he decided to go on with the caucus. Not the primary. And she lost by 30 points, over 30 points, to none of these candidates. That, that is demoralizing. Why would she stay in the race? Now, when David Bossy suggested, and by the way, some folks said he was in the running for um, the head of the RNC, now that Ronna McDaniel is out. I don't know who's going to get it. This guy by the name of Watley that they're talking about. And I don't know anything about him, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, and I don't think David Bossy is in the you know in the hierarchy of the Republican Party anyway, so I don't think he would be eligible. But he made the suggestion that everybody get step aside and let Trump go on. And Trump very wisely said, "No, no, we have to go through this process. I want to go through this process." And so Trump decided he's not going to be on the Nevada ballot. He is going to stand for the Nevada caucus instead and that is I believe that's tomorrow night tonight or tomorrow night. what hey Ray what is the what's the date today the seventh or the eighth it's the eighth so it's tonight yeah the caucus is tonight and uh, the state Republican Party didn't want to have anything to do with the primary process so all their delegates are going to be attached to tonight's caucus well she decided not to get involved in the caucus so she decided to ignore the Republican Party in Nevada. She never campaigned or advertised, and yet she decided to be on the ballot. Why? For the primary. That was not very smart. So now, oh my gosh, she's going into Super Tuesday and her state, she's not looking good for even her state of South Carolina. It is just not looking good for her and yet she keeps using that old thing about Donald Trump not mentally fit my goodness have you seen him on his interviews so one time he misspoke about Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley and I'm sure for him it's easy to <laughs> confuse the two anyway oh she called Nevada a scam she said it's a scam and that Trump rigged it he wasn't even involved and if he rigged it it was because the people there want Trump, not her. At what point does a candidate get the message? And yeah, the party chairman in Nevada might be a Trump friend. I bet Trump has friends all over the party. He is single-handedly, he kind of is what Rush Limbaugh did to radio, AM radio in particular, but we're FM. But back then, most stations that carried talk were AM. And Rush single-handedly rescued the AM band. Well, I see Trump single-handedly rescuing the Republican brand.
because the Republican Party had lost its way. You know, all the elites, the country club types, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Romneys, the McConnells, they're still too much involved, in my opinion. But their day is numbered, too. Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. We have a lot of work to do to take our party back. Now, what's happening on the local level is not a pretty sight. It is not a pretty sight. I'm not even going to get into it today. I don't have time to get into it today. We'll have a best of show tomorrow. We're going to take a couple of days off next week from Mardi Gras, Lundi Gras and Mardi Gras. And we'll be back because we love you guys. We'll be back on Valentine's Day. Yes. So we'll have a couple of best of shows. Those of you who say said you wanted to hear rehear the interview with Tut Kinney, remember they are having the hearings coming up the 14th and 15th. Uh, of February. So that that's the day after we, we're going to rebroadcast both of his interviews that we did with him so you can get all the scoop about what's going on with Blue Cross and Elevance. And we'll have, uh, you know, uh, a rebroadcast of the other one that I know you wanted to hear was Cl- uh, Congressman Higgins. So we've got all of that coming up. I hope you have a spectacular weekend, everybody. Love you guys. I'm going to let Blanc roll us out of here. Hope you have, oh yeah, getting ready for Mardi Gras. Let's have a little Zydeco breakdown here. All right, y'all. Have a great Mardi Gras. Have a great weekend. Oh yeah, I really appreciate Bill and Bear Attorneys at Law, who helped put the Ross Report on the road here in downtown Lafayette. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Have a great Mardi Gras. Laissez les bons temps rouler, eh? Mm-hmm. Allons, allons. Bye bye.